Attention Talking Simpsons listeners, we have a new podcast miniseries exclusively on Patreon right now. For $5 and up subscribers at patreon.com slash talking simpsons, you get Talk King of the Hill Season 2 Part 1. That's right, we're returning to King of the Hill once again putting out 11 new episodes covering the first half of the show's second season. Again, that is patreon.com slash talking simpsons. Be there or be not right. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons, an affront to our collective dignity. I'm your host, glorified Notary Public, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons, who is here with me today as always. Hey, it's Henry Gilbert telling you to please don't spit over the hand. And who do we have on the line? That's Matt Grisman. Hey, hey. And today's episode is Bart Gets Hit by a Car. I, uh, I think the boy's hurt. Oh, for crying out loud. Just give him a nickel and let's get going. <laughs> Today's episode aired on January 10th, 1991, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh my god! Happy New Year, 1991, Bobby. Talk Soup debuts on the E! Entertainment Network. Madonna's Justify My Love is Billboard's number one hit. And in two days, Congress will officially pass a resolution authorizing the use of military action in Kuwait. So the most important thing, Talk yeah. Soup. Talk Soup. The Greg yes. Kinnear years. Great. I don't remember there being any host other than Greg Kinnear of Talk Soup, so it must have been him even in 91. Just then. him, and then he went on to be nominated for an Oscar, is that correct? In a James L. Brooks film, yes. as good as it gets. Yep. And uh, I think Justify My Love is probably number one, partially off of the controversy of the, the video being too hot for TV. And I believe they sold it as a VHS tape. Oh, all right. To get around that. And it was, I guess, an eight-minute VHS tape that you could buy for 10 or $20 at Sam <laughs> uh, Goody. Wow. Yeah. Man, that, people were so horny back then. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely kind of quaint to think back. I think I remember Madonna appearing on Wayne's World, and there was a parody of this video with Wayne and Garth. I remember that. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is that Prince? I remember. <laughs> that was big. Uh, and, a, and a joke about Garth having a very large bulge in the uh, the skin yep. suit. Yeah. Hey, Wayne and Garth are back, guys. They're uh, they're <laughs> shilling for food delivery services. Uh-huh. You mean they're supporting local businesses, Bob? Yes. Yeah. Wayne's World was a local business. Yeah. <laughs> it's like almost like people only do things because they get paid, and I think that's just sad. You know, not to go on too long about this, but in Wayne's World 1, they were uh, Noah's Arcade was the villain. That was local business. So the precedent was set that Wayne and Garth are anti-local business. That's true. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, as we enter, as Desert Shield becomes Desert Storm, uh, we're entering prime bootleg Simpsons t-shirt time here as well. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would guess by now already the Bart killing Saddam Hussein shirts are already printing, uh, printing uh, big time. Yeah, in 1991. Oh, Matt, did you have any of these bootleg? Like t-shirts or how, are you I really them? wish I had sadly I do remember them there was one where he was like cutting Saddam Hussein's throat it was really gr- grisly stuff in that uh, era and then, of course strangling him and, and all kinds of stuff in that era it was either Bart doing violence to Saddam Hussein or a mix of Dick Tracy Ninja Turtles Batman and the Simpsons <laughs> all in one flea market <laughs> 
I mean, we'll talk about it more as uh, more things happen in the news as we go through 1991. But like the first, the first TV war, like made for TV war, is about to begin. It's pretty, pretty fun times. Mm-hmm. And joining us today is Matt Chrisman of Chapo Trap House, of course, and the new Stitcher Premium Podcast. Time for my stories. Welcome back to the show, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I was, I was just saying beforehand, you're uh, going through all of the, you know, important dramas of the last, you know, well, I guess the American. Uh, last 60 70 years is so great i especially love like you made me want to just rewatch all of the shield sopranos deadwood all over again yeah thanks it's been a lot of fun and uh and listening to felix talk about uh the sopranos is always uh fun he could honestly just do a whole show on that show i think at this point <laughs> have you thought about covering the simpsons at all in that miniseries well the the premise is that we were doing like the, the the shows that make up the most influential dna of prestige television mm, okay. which is you know a a in the hour-long drama framework so we didn't have any ability to do anything we didn't really focus on anything half hour anything comedic and, the, and honestly the simpsons uh it just feels too big like it, it kind of it, how do you even talk about the simpsons when you have our frame of reference yeah. how do you really even talk about it uh without being uh, wh- how do you get outside of it it's like uh well it's a six-year project already for us we go on <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh, very long timeline now and i i really loved your observation in the shield of just like how they couldn't make they kept struggling with like how evil did they make vic Mackey or not <laughs> and uh, yeah <clears throat> they they started off at such a high point that that they were kind of stuck and then they just had to vacillate back and forth and also how deadwood was screwed by trying to tell the deeper stories everybody wanted and everybody's like it's boring and yeah, i was like well what is this <laughs> everybody's talking about community get the hell out of here <laughs> Well, I guess, Matt, do you recall uh, where you were when this episode aired? Did, did, did you see this brand new or was it more of a, uh, a syndicated viewing? I'm pretty sure I saw this when it came out as a kid because I was on I was I was the age of Bart. Mm. So I, I was I, I wanted to, to uh, be an underachiever and proud of it, although I just couldn't. I was a nerd. So I more <laughs> looked at him as a, as a figure of sort of odd aspiration. <laughs> <laughs> and if you had the guts you could be Bart. I, yeah, I believe Matt I, just, I didn't have it. I didn't have it in me to be Bart, but I could watch the show. I believe Matt was with us for Trash of the Titans, which was an okay Sports World episode, but this is a really good one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And one of his earlier ones too. The the only thing I think that hurts this episode is the the third act being a little too cutesy poo, but it's it's a pretty great I mean, there's when I was listing, just trying to list all the firsts of this episode, I thought, wow, they really, they discovered something mm. when they finished this episode. They're like, oh, this is where we can take the show. Oh, by the way, Trash of the Titans written by Ian Max Stone Graham. We can move on. Oh, okay. my mistake. Yes. <laughs> Don't put that on John. Uh, it's all falling into place. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this uh, this episode, of Schwarzwelder one, uh, Mark Kirkland, the, the two. Well, I don't know if Selman has surpassed Schwarzwelder yet. I think he, he was has. getting close. Okay. Yeah. Well, for a time, Schwarzwelder had written the most Simpsons episodes, and Kirkland has still has the record, and I think will never be beaten uh, unless they make fifty more years of it. And like in the third generation of Simpsons, that guy, some other guy or gal, does that many Schwarzwelder. Uh, if it does, and it very well might, it will be a. Uh a predictive text algorithm it won't be an actual person <laughs> i think Schwarzwelder was on the show for 13 years and selman has been on since season nine nine to 32 so he's had a much longer run yeah 
and yeah this is uh like the first the first one with phil hartman and that also means lionel hutch the first huts the first one with judge schneider the first one with the blue-haired lawyer the first one with doris growl like so dr nick and dr nick and dr nick yeah so so many first in this one uh, it's inspired by a movie that is not streaming anywhere but uh but i watched a few clips from it it's inspired by the 1966 billy wilder film the fortune cookie which stars jack lemon and Mal- walter Matthau. oh they were in a movie together yes yeah interesting uh, that, that's, i think is that the movie that walter Matthau won an oscar for oh man i think I, he was nominated let me look that up well, here while you look for that henry they had they will mine the uh the belly wilder mine in the future for uh, radio bart mm. which is an ace in the yeah, hole parody oh wow and well he deserved to win for that because um he really is good like if you see the character if you watch the clips you know it's a walter Matthau version but his version of the uh slimy lawyer is so much in the huts character like you can i can totally see that Schwarzwelder wrote huts to be a version of Matthau's character in fortune cookie and then phil hartman brought his own spirit to it and the animators brought their own look to it uh but at its core it starts with that that oscar winning performance and uh the, and the film is about spurious lawsuits and how uh people sue about anything which the uh though in the plot of it the the guy isn't hit by a car by a rich man uh jack lemon is a cameraman for football for cbs and a football player hits him mm. uh and he gets a concussion and they act like uh well let's pretend this is worse it's not just some <laughs> concussion like he broke his back or all that. like i feel like uh, now he could have a lawsuit from a concussion you know what it's not streaming but something that i've learned is that if an old movie is not streaming it's probably locked behind the turner classic movies cable tv paywall oh, and that should yeah. be a separate streaming service yeah why isn't that on hbo max that's bullshit and yeah this is the first of many 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 courtroom episodes that the simpsons would have i think it's just such an easy comedy starting point of like you everybody has a part to play in a courtroom there's so many rules that you can get comedy out of like they'd they basically would redo at these Lionel Hutt scenes in like five more episodes and just stack a new joke on top of it. The weird thing is, I, in my estimation, is that Hutz does not do a lot of talking in the courtroom. Mm. It's mostly about other people giving their testimony. I think they'll figure out it's funny to have Hutz on stage a lot in these scenes. Yeah, no, I think once they hear Hartman's portrayal of it, they're like, oh, we need to give this character way more lines in the courtroom. Like, it's it, it shouldn't just be Marge on the stand and that's the humor to it. Uh, but yes, this episode... You need him to be uh, ish. You need him to be moving for a bad court thingy. Yes, yeah. he needs to be pantsless. There should <laughs> pantsless. be random items inside of his briefcase. Uh, this character really hits the skids after this first appearance. His yeah. life gets much worse. <laughs> he seems almost like an okay lawyer. Well, I mean, he's he is a money grubbing lawyer who chases ambulances, but seems like he knows what he's doing in a courtroom but <laughs> he's not yeah, he's more of like a Saul Goodman in this one yeah and in subsequent uh, episodes just becomes more and more uh more and more fail living at the YMCA yeah <laughs> uh ready to stab anybody if they touch his stuff like <laughs> uh, but yeah the episode begins with a like a minute of just cartoony gags like Kirkland says that it just the script says Bart 
does general mischief so he's like okay he uh goes through wet cement he makes a dog run around an old lady just uh but though these little cartoony bits the show would never give time to this much like silence no. and and action i'd uh, i miss seeing the dog like the dog that wraps around the lady it looks like a goofy cartoon character i love that dog and uh and then as a little kid who you know was very pedantic about things to see the title appear on screen and say episode 23, it messed me up because I thought, <laughs> did I miss it when it said the title in every other episode? What, what's going on? What's this? Yeah, uh, I uh, I just re- reflected, oh, I've watched 23 of these so far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I was trying to also count in my head back then in a pre-Wikipedia or episode guide age of like has it been 23 let's see can i remember 23 episodes and as of this recording we just hit 700 and that was on the screen wow oh right yes yeah (laughs) but also it works as a really i really laugh at the joke now because the meaning of the joke is just to say the name of the episode is bark it hits by a car and then he is instantly hit by a car the second you see the name of it that's it's a good gag i'm trying to judge fault here like who's at fault because bart doesn't stop at a crosswalk but neither does Burns, and like Burns just plows right into him. So I did some little bit of Googling on legal stuff for this. I would definitely think Burns is at fault here, like legal mm. criminal fault for hitting someone. Usually it's the pedestrian who's got the right of way. For me, what, yeah, I took, I think so. what I took away from this, and I want to know what Matt thinks about this, is that these early Burns, uh, well, he's only in his 80s, and he is much more active. He hasn't been enfeebled yet. So in this episode, in other season two episodes, Burns is driving himself. Mm. which we would never see in the future. And he is so animated and screaming in this episode. So he loses a lot of that spark in a few more years, but it's interesting to see a slightly younger, but still elderly version of Burns in this episode. Yeah. It's a little, got a little bit more vigor. I also think Smithers has witnessed like multiple Bart's being hit by cars in the world. And maybe that's why he eventually is like, you know what? I'll just, I'll take over. It'll be me. And it's a shame we're not doing blood feud because that story is very rough from the headlines of today. We're hearing about the Royal family traveling with a refrigerator full of blood and the future of, uh, you know, immortality is stealing the blood of the young. (laughs) So blood feud, it's very, very predictable Uh, future. I think not to date this one, but this, uh, we're recording it on the, the death date of, of Prince Philip and uh, now Matt do you think he they had been work weekend at Burnsing him for a, a long time or do you think do you think he really did officially die today I think that he uh, molted like the reptile that he is that uh, that timeless picture of him in the backseat of the car just catatonic he he had seen hell he had been to hell and he had seen hell and he's there now he had seen what was coming yeah. for him i guess just like bard in this episode too yeah uh i also love burns is very dickensian like just give him a nickel and let's get going like that uh, that's fun i this episode is definitely against uh lawyers who dare to sue people for things but I like that Burns is at least very, uh, like, evil as a rich man in this, too. Uh, yeah, he's always evil. They never forget that. <laughs> but I guess, you know, I, I'll say this now, but this is what I was thinking at the end of it. Like, they say that Bart, a, a crux of the thing in the courtroom is that like, oh, well, Bart's actually fine. He does die. He goes to heaven and then hell and comes back. Like, Burns is at fault for almost killing Bart. I guess they gloss over that Bart has a near-death experience. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, he doesn't seem too traumatized by it, so I don't know why anyone's supposed to take it too seriously. Uh, but they frame it as like this completely, you know, empty lawsuit that's just trying to rob Mr. Burns. It's like, no, he Burns almost killed Bart. Like, well, I mean, this is the era where everyone decided for no reason that lawsuits were frivolous and that and that there's never any reason to sue anybody. Just coincidentally, around you know a bunch of corporate campaigns to make people think that. Uh, the, around the time of the hot coffee lawsuit, which was a legitimate suit about actual significant physical damage that got turned into a punchline uh, by the media. So it's, it's all part of that era, the tort reform era. <laughs> and so was the movie Liar Liar. Yeah. The premise, what if a lawyer had to tell the truth? Mm. I'm laughing already. <laughs> it's the 90s. <laughs> So Bart goes to heaven in the first minute of the episode. It's so so funny. Did like it, and this stuff scared me as a kid. Things about like life and death. Like I, as a seven-year-old, seeing this, I definitely was thinking like, "Oh, Bart's dead." And what is this? What hell is it? Did that kind of stuff scared me a lot as a kid. Uh, but yes, first appearance in heaven. It's kind of eerie that it's in heaven. You oh. hear Phil Hartman's voice, but I didn't think uh, of that. Yeah, but uh, the first appearance of phil hartman the you know incredibly talented comedic actor who uh was still on snl at the time i would guess he you know i don't know they never really mentioned if they recorded a lot with him in new york i would assume he just came down to la from time to time and recorded uh his lines for the show until news radio i'm sure it's on the record somewhere but it's frustrating on this commentary from 20 years ago they don't talk about why they hired him or who they had in mind for this originally or if he was always the guy they wanted yeah yeah actually in general this is a crappy commentary because mark kirkland the director is kind of having to run the show like he's uh like graining and mike reese barely talk he feels like he has to prompt them to talk like it's which is the opposite of how most commentaries are just a bunch of you know writers trying to goof around on top of each other while an animator can barely speak it's it's kind of the reverse of that and this probably will become a Phil Hartman love fest this episode because it's his first appearance, of course. And recently I rewatched uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure because my wife had never seen it. And uh, one of the things, he's had such a big career that I forgot that he co-wrote the movie. And I saw his credit at the beginning. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's in this, isn't he? He's not in it until the very end. He has one line right. talking to Francis at the end. And I love the movie. and It's a great movie. But I thought he could have been in a bigger role in this and he wasn't. <laughs> but uh, just an amazing life he had. And it sucks that, I mean, it's been almost, uh, it's 22 years, I think, 23 years. 23 years. Yeah. Idea, yeah. yeah. I mean, Matt, you're an SNL historian. You know all about Phil Hartman. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, uh, I watched I watched most of his uh, run on the show. At that point, I was watching SNL every weekend or trying to. Although I'm sure I missed some ones because you know this is before it was on Hulu and shit. Uh, well, one of the worst things about Peacock is that like they say, oh, we got all these SNLs, and they are 40 minutes sometimes, or like 20 minutes, and. I know it's going to like suck and I'm sure mm. they cut it because they're just like, oh, that's racist. That's racist. But like, I want to watch the one where Hulk Hogan and Mr. T hosted the show and there's like literally 25 minutes of it. It's mm. not just the music they cut. Like they didn't even have the one of Mr. T and Hulk Hogan being interviewed by uh, Fernando, Fernando, Fernando interviews, interviews them. And that wasn't even on there. That's the one scene everybody shows of Hulk and T on SNL. You also can't get the uh, Seagal, uh, Steven Seagal hosted episode, which has been completely memory hole due to its catastrophic terribleness. Uh, I think there's at least 20 pages on that episode in that Live from New York book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, uh, But yeah, Hartman, as far as The Simpsons, this was a stat I 
uh, figured out when we covered his final episode, but I'll just say it again. To think of how important he was to the show for the time he was on it from uh, until he is passing, he was on 53 episodes out of 206 total wow. episodes. So 25% of the series up to the point he passed away, Hartman was on the show. Like he's in one fourth of all episodes of classic Simpsons. I forgot about that stat. And he would just come back to do random roles like in the Australia episode, Evan Conover. Yeah, uh, I love him as Conover. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, that's why I think that the easiest yardstick for when the show went downhill is when Phil Hartman died. I, that's it, fine. That, put, put the line there. It works <laughs> as well as anything. I would think if he had been around in seasons 10, 11, and 12, even if those episodes we were disappointed by then, we I think we still would have been saying, well, hey, at least Lionel Hutz had a funny line here. Or at least uh, I, I like that Troy McClure scene. That's always good. There's no more. He couldn't, he couldn't save anything anymore. I wonder, too, maybe on the commentary, it was the first time they were going to have to address Hartman. And I think yeah. maybe they just felt uncomfortable because like that would have been recorded, I would bet, within three years of his passing. And they might have just been like, what do we even say? This is uncomfortable. Like they'd... They hadn't figured it out yet, maybe. Uh, but yes, Bart goes to heaven. The god uh, voiced by Hartman or an angel's voice tells him not to spit over the handrail. I like that bit because no one would think to spit over the handrail unless you told him not to. And that was the temptation. <laughs> it was like Oppositional your positional defiant disorder. That's uh, what he's got and always had. Wow. <laughs> uh, that And that is how, I mean, that is a very Old Testament way of God saying, don't do this thing. And once you did it, like, ah, hell for you going away and your sins are cumulative <laughs> yeah. and yeah that great grandpa simpson he's strangling someone but that has to be abe simpson's brother then because abe couldn't be in heaven to be strangled as a child so did abe's younger brother die and mm -hmm. that's why he's a child angel being being strangled by great grandpa simpson you know i never thought of that but that's uh, very dark think about there's it. another possibility which is that great grandpa simpson's heaven is strangling his children but since they didn't die as kids, it's like a, a uh, some sort of heaven apparition in the form of his child that he can strangle to have his uh, heavenly experience. Mm, okay, I like that too. The show is telling us child abuse is not a sin. Yeah, yes. Up front. Well, that's definitely true. I mean, that's unarguable from the, the text. It's also creepy to see that great-grandpa Simpson's wife is a Marge-looking woman too. It's just like the... Homer is married to a woman that looks a lot like his grandma. It's I a very guess. Back to the Future 3 style choice. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the Simpsons will be right back. Look at this big blonde bottom. Tell me what you say. A butterfinger. And this one? Another butterfinger. Just as I thought. Your obsession with this so-called butterfinger can be overcome only by sharing the very object you hold most dear. Speak English, Doc. I want that butterfinger! You need help, man. Crispity, crunchity, peanut buttery butterfinger. Wait, boy! Sorry, man. But nobody better lay a finger on my butterfinger. And try new Butterfinger ice cream bars. Cool, man. Butterfinger on a stick. Hmm. 
Welcome to the break, everybody, for the podcast. It's also a sponge. And a big thank you to our guest this week, Matt Chrisman from the Chapo Trap House podcast. It is always awesome to have Matt back on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. And if you enjoy the Talking Simpsons podcast, you should know that this is me and Bob's full-time jobs, and we're only able to do it because of the support of listeners like you on Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. For just $5 a month, lots of people support us to do this is full-time jobs and they also for those five bucks get so many exclusive extras on the patreon they would get access to over 100 exclusive podcasts of us doing the talking simpsons treatment to shows like the critic futurama mission hill and king of the hill you'd hear us talk about all of those plus tons of exclusive interviews you won't hear anywhere else with folks who've worked on the simpsons in some cases for decades and tons more super cool things at that $5 level. Please check it all out today at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. But if you want something as fancy as an opinion from Johns Hopkins Medical School, then in my opinion, you should head up to the $10 level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons to get all those $5 things I just mentioned, but also our once a month premium podcast what a cartoon movie so the sister podcast to talking simpsons is what a cartoon where we cover an animated series multiple times a month going super in-depth into the history of that show and each month we do what a cartoon movie where we do the same treatment for a feature film and you can only hear the often over four hour long podcast if you sign up at the ten dollar level to hear the entire back catalog recent ones have included Hercules, the 1997 Disney film, Shrek, Cool World, and a giant back catalog, almost three years worth that cover films as diverse as Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Beavis and Butthead Do America, a goofy movie, The End of Evangelion, Cowboy Bebop the movie, Kiki's Delivery Service, Akira, and so, so many more. A giant back catalog at your disposal. If you go up to that $10 level at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. And, and we see Snowball in hell, Heaven as well. But yes, Bart spits into the Atlantic. I like the visual too, the little ripple it sends out. That I mean, again, these TV budget animators are told, well, of course, an, an, a, an infinite escalator up to heaven. And then it stops working and Bart has to tumble through the core of the earth into an Hieronymus Bosch style hell. <laughs> Just draw all that. And you got, you got two weeks. Just it's do that. Maybe two sentences on a page. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yes, we have our first clip here as Bart enters hell, and I didn't realize that uh, until look, really looking into it that the first line the devil says here is a reference to the Rolling Stones song, Sympathy for the Devil. Mm. Howdy, Stranger. Well, not the first. Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? Uh, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm the devil. <laughs> and you've earned eternal damnation for your lifetime of evil deeds, Bart. Spitting off the escalator just clinched it. Hey, I'm innocent, man. <laughs> innocent. <laughs> Everybody's innocent. <laughs> okay, let's just pull up your file here. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> hmm. Seems to be a mistake. According to this, you're not due to arrive here until the next time the Yankees win the pennant. It's nearly a century from now. <laughs> 
boy, is my face red. Bart? Bart! Um, say, is there anything I can do to avoid coming back here? Oh, sure, yeah, but, uh, hey, you wouldn't like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> See you later, then. Goodbye, Bart. Remember, lie, cheat, steal, and listen to heavy metal music. Yes, sir! Matt, do you prefer a devil that is this guy or Flanders devil? I like the idea of the devil as like a, a new character, as a separate character. And I also like that he's just sort of an affable, sort of sleazy guy. I like that. It is interesting that they say Yankees win the pennant, and then they done, they did win the pennant like two years later, the first of four in a row. I think it was 96. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's very similar to how how they kind of reverse jinxed the Denver Broncos who won the Super Bowl like a year after uh, the Hank Scorpio episode. Yeah. It's like when they, when they decide to indicate a team as, as like a joke, they then go on pretty quickly to prove them wrong. And I'm sure based on that line, uh, there are maybe three YouTube videos about how Bart is actually dead. He died in 96. <laughs> uh, that's good. I like that theory. There are too uh, many yeah. Homer is dead uh, YouTube videos. There needs to be more Bart is dead YouTube videos. I bet Matt Graney was like, well, let's tell the kids that Bart lives to be 100. Like that, since he says that's almost 100 years from now, that means Bart lives to be 100. He lives to be all, uh, older than Prince Philip, even. <laughs> I also please want- <laughs> Henry. He just died. <laughs> and yeah, the, the yeah. Not only do they they won the pennant uh, since then one two three four five six seven times and won the World Series three times since then. It had only yeah. been ten years since they last won the pennant. It was eighty one when they yeah. when this episode aired. I mean, sort yeah. They just they had a bad decade. Like they that's what they would do. They'd have one bad decade every every you know generation, and then uh, they would be better because they're the Yankees. They have all the money in the world. It was very short sighted to pick them, frankly. Should have picked the Padres. <laughs> the Swartz, I guess you know Swartzwalder is a big baseball fan. I'm, mm, I'm guessing right. he's letting out some some of his own personal distaste for the Yankees in there. I guess. Yeah, uh, everybody should everybody should hate them. So uh, <laughs> that's appropriate. It's the correct stance to have. Yeah, I also really love like the ancient windows interface of his computer that he's checking that's i think great. it's a mac oh you know yeah I mean, yeah i think you're right it is a mac yeah yeah i like his shrimpy kind of style of just the way and his like snort laughter is innocent i like that too i i also that that felt to me like a great line too of bart saying well can i not go to help yeah but you wouldn't like it like eh, it feels yeah. like they're tweaking the conservative christians who hate the show but they're also saying no you're right these are the things that lead you to hell like listening to heavy metal music yeah. so <laughs> but bart and also like we if you were given the instructions to not go to a christian hell which we all are at church i mean we just go like nah that's tough <laughs> oh i don't like that uh and uh yeah so bart moves back up to heaven they are from hell back to earth uh, they credit Stephen Dean Moore, future director on the show, for the gag with Jacques returning. Like he drew the the very honestly kind of stock gag of like the glove being snapped on and the man re- realizing, oh no, he's gonna check my prostate. The worst thing that can happen to me. One of a few non-speaking Jacques appearances after his initial appearance, <laughs> outside of every time the opening plays for right, twenty yeah. years. <laughs> The animators were much more into Jacques than uh, the writers were. Uh, but yes, so we get our first appearance of Lionel Hutz. I love the shot of him just in between the family already in the middle of the Wizard of Oz parody they come back to. Apparently Lionel Hutz was a, is is or was the name of a real friend of John Swartzwelter's. And, uh, <laughs> That's funny. I like that specificness that it's hot like that like who would you wouldn't make up the name Lionel Hutch you know I wonder if his life was destroyed like the man who uh, Steve Urkel was named after <laughs> 
uh, or Armin Tamzarian. Well, he actually found out. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's true. And decided to not sue the show. <laughs> it's nice of him. And yeah, Kirkland said that they originally designed him as just like an evil guy, but they then thought like, no, let's soften it. Like powder blue suit, this like kind of desperate, like I like he has a wigglier mouth. Like, uh, yeah. And he's constantly doing that insincere smile, which he wouldn't do a lot more after this, but it's just part of his character trait in this episode. Mm. Uh, but yes, Hutz comes in literally chasing the ambulance and he introduces himself to the family. Hey, yeah, who are you? I saw you chasing Bart's ambulance. Hutz is the name, Mr. Simpson. Lionel Hutz, attorney at law. Here's my card. It turns into a sponge when you put it in water. Ooh, classy. I'd like to talk to you about bringing legal action against the fiend who did this to your boy. Well, the fiend who did this to my boy is my boss. And besides, the doctor says it's just a bump on the head and a broken toe. Nothing serious. <laughs> Doctors. Doctors are idiots. There's no telling what kind of permanent injuries he might have. You might have to wait on him hand and foot for the rest of his natural life. That's the downside. Now, here's the good part. You can ching, 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 cash in on this tragedy. Wow. Excuse me, Mr. Hutz. Are you a shyster? How does a nice little girl like you know a big word like that? Mr. Hutz, this is hardly the time or place to discuss this. You're right, you're right. When you feel up to it, come over to my office and we'll talk about it. Lionel Hutz, attorney at law. What's that, a broken neck? Great. Great stuff. I, I love how impressed Homer finds it classy to be given a, a sponge <laughs> card. That's so great. Again, I do think it's worth suing over. I mean, Hutsey's, uh, you know, you're not supposed to like him, but and also he's going to take 50%, we find out later, which that sounds like a lot. But hey, if I have to give somebody else $500,000 for me to get $500,000 off of an evil man. Seems fair. Seems, uh, you know, fair enough. And we find out later that Burns is not even willing to pay the medical bills for Bart. Yeah. Just the very idea <laughs> causes all negotiations to stall out. Also, the word shyster just sounds wrong to me. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't. It's I, got some bad. Baggage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, then Dr. Julius Hibbert comes in, second appearance for him. Uh, he's getting a little more of the friendly, laughier Cosby. Uh, demo well, <laughs> you know, he has, uh, let's just say, friendly doctor demeanor. Like the Cosby demeanor sounds wrong now. <laughs> But in this episode, uh, Dr. Nick is set up to be the funny doctor. And mm -hmm. in the few, very, very soon, they will both be the funny doctors for different reasons. Mm hmm. Oh, and we get the return of the Al Quit It joke from the uh, the Xmas special. Again, the uh, Hibbert just says like, ah, broken toe, bump on the head, just send him home, and, and Marge can doesn't have to worry about him that much. But I still feel like they probably should should worry a little more. <laughs> Homer goes to work. He, I get, I love Lenny's line like, hey Simpson, I hear Mr. Burns crushed your boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a lot of uh, mouthful acting on Homer, which I feel like yeah. these shows are messy and noisy. These early ones, people are talking when their mouths full. It's it's a different kind of uh, audio uh, fabric here we're working with. Now, in general, Dan sounds like he has a full mouth this entire like episode. You're like, <laughs> well, you know, you're talking about my boss. Like, yeah, he's uh, he hasn't. Speaking of Walter Matthau, I don't think Dan's fully cast off the Matthau of of the Homer voice just yet. And uh, I also like in Homer saying like, "If I wasn't so spineless," accepting that he is spineless and terrified of his boss, even though he should know. Like, hey, just go to your boss and have a conversation. That's all. That's all you need to do. Like, uh, it, it, that's that's the power of uh of capitalism and, and corporate business yes <laughs> there's no need to unionize yeah homer heads into burns and burns uh he tries to settle with homer in this next clip 
Ah, Simpson, at last we meet. It's uh, nice to meet you too, sir. Yes. My attorneys have advised me to pay you for running over your child, so I'm cutting you a check. Really? Great. <laughs> 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 One hundred dollars. Of course, you'll have to sign a waiver relinquishing your right to sue and so forth. Merely a formality. A hundred bucks? Why, I, I, it was a very generous offer, sir, but medical bills alone... Oh, so extortion is the name of your little game, is it, Simpson? <laughs> very well. Then you get nothing. I have the finest lawyers in Springfield, Simpson. Tangle with me, and I'll crush you like a paper cup. Uh, <laughs> throw him out, Smithers! You don't have to do that, Mr. Burns. I can throw myself out. That, too, it, uh, you know, this episode has a very lively Burns, but that's their first, like, Burns is so weak he mm. can't crush a paper cut, a cup kind of joke. After they finish this, I think they're like, we like the weak Burns better <laughs> than the yelling Burns. It's it's more fun that he's it, incredibly feeble. It will become a struggle to give a thumbs up later. I guess we had him <laughs> throwing out the first pitch at uh, Nance and Homer. That's true, yeah. But this is even more exaggerated because we've all seen first pitches like that in our yes, lives. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Anthony... Fauci much. <laughs> uh, he should have resigned over that. That, that failed. Honestly, first pitch. obviously, yeah. Brought shame to America. I don't know how anybody uh, comes back from a bad first pitch throw. <laughs> oh, I mean, I never, if it was offered to me, in, if you gave me a month to practice, <laughs> uh, maybe I'd, I'd take it. But otherwise, I'd be like, no, thank you. <laughs> Underhanded or I walk. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Burns, I think, is very realistic in that when he's told to pay more than $100 for something, <laughs> he instantly just shuts down like, oh, extortion, eh? Like, <laughs> you fuck you. I uh, think Burns just got a blood transfusion before this episode. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, he's, you know, yeah, it's all about the blood of a young boy. He needs, he's collects that quite a lot, old Burns does. They finally are even having Homer notice the joke of that Burns doesn't recognize him every time because Burns should definitely remember that Homer just ruined his uh, run for governor. <laughs> uh, I would feel like nobody would forget that. But uh, but yes, Homer heads over to I Can't Believe It's a Law Firm. First time we visit that mall is it, kiosk. Is it named that in this episode? Uh, I don't think it what? is. I think yeah. it just named Lionel Hutt's uh, attorney You're right, law. it just says that. Yeah, but that's they, a better name they would stumble upon later. I don't know how long they kept it. Took him a while. Yeah, the it, uh, you're right. Yeah, they change it, but the the location always remains the same. And and this is the uh, the uh, another first of the episode, the first appearance of Doris Growl. Here, I'll I'll play uh, this quick clip. Right in here, Mr. Simpson. Any calls, Della? Calls? Oh, calls. Yes, uh, the Supreme Court called again. They need your help on some freedom thing. Tell them to sit tight. I'll get back to them. This way, Mr. Simpson. You sure have got some education, Mr. Hutch. Yes, Harvard, Yale, MIT, Oxford, the Sorbonne, the Louvre. Oh, oh well. Mr. Simpson, the state bar forbids me from promising you a big cash settlement. But just between you and me, I promise you a big cash settlement. Pretty great that he instantly breaks the law in front of Homer, and that, that impresses Homer. <laughs> but Doris Grau, uh, she passed away in 95, and she was a script supervisor on things dating back to the late 50s, and they just loved her so much, the people she worked with, she would end up on screen a lot. In fact, Henry sent me an episode of Cheers on Hulu, yeah, where yeah. she is just the cold open joke. She's coming into interview to be a barmaid at Cheers. Yeah, yeah. The, the Doris Grau, like, when I, when I read her obituary, it mentioned that, like, she 
born in 1924 in Brooklyn, in her teens moved to Hollywood and became a strip supervisor like in the 40s at Columbia. Like oh, she'd, wow. Okay. She'd been at it for that long. The story's, it's, I'm so, you know, she seemed like she lived such an interesting life. It's so sad that she passed away, right? Like uh, the story she could tell about just being the script supervisor, which is, you know, an important role, but not, a, I don't think particularly respected one in Hollywood. All the things she saw, like, oh man. Like she worked on Lee Marvin's Point Blank and the, the 1976 King Kong remake. Like what, how much like insane shit did she see on those, on those movies? And of course she would be Lunch Lady Doris and then she'd become Doris on The Critic. And if The Critic had a third season, she would not be on it because she passed away in December of 95. But yeah. she was script supervisor on uh, Tracy Ullman show. So I think she was just in the Gracie building. I think so. And yeah. they just used her for yeah. their show. Now looking at her IMDb, it looked like in the 70s, uh, by the 80s, she transitioned more to tv movie script supervising and then cheers was her first sitcom one which is that was the first time they really were like oh let's have her in here like here here's doris uh in her quick scene in her first of three appearances on cheers in 1986 uh pardon me am i mistaken or did you used to work at the hungry heifer sure i worked there yeah say i know you the girls there had a pet name for you what was that that guy who comes back <laughs> Good classic and cheers. Nobody will ever sound like the smoky grandmas of our youths. It's sad. It's sad. <laughs> the cigarettes. Yeah, that... I blame vaping. <laughs> <laughs> See, vaping doesn't does uh, it doesn't give you the kind of tar and gravel that. Yeah. Uh, it's sad. Uh, Tom Waits hat rasp that you that just speaks to a life of hard living. Uh man, yeah, seventy one. She'd be you know uh, I. She'd be 97 now. I don't know if she'd uh, live that long. Like that, She's no know. Prince Philip. No. <laughs> it's going to keep coming up on this podcast. Uh, that's why they just named the characters. After they have her just do a few random roles on Simpsons, they just said, let's just make up a character called Doris that just is her. So first lunch lady Doris, and then the critic has Doris, who I remember Al Jean saying he really, after she passed away, he felt really bad about the few times he directed her as a voice director of like could you cough a bunch about and say how you his smoking's fine and all the jokes about doris uh being near death yes yeah but yeah i also as a kid i didn't get the joke of it being a con of saying that the supreme court called but homer's just buying all of it i love that uh and yeah that homer also his animation when he says a million bucks is a okay like his uh i really like that he just like kind of jumps up and goes woohoo that's the kind of take that I feel like, you know, Dan Castledetta doesn't really bring that energy to Homer <laughs> these days. <laughs> he's, he's a much older man. He is, yeah. So, yes, when we come back from the commercial break, uh, we had, again, this was another joke I did not get in first viewing as a kid. That Nick Riviera's office is right. two down in the mall from Hutz's office. So that's a, that's a good extra joke there. That, uh, But, yes, we also get to meet first time Dr. Nick Riviera. Now we'll get a real doctor's opinion. Bad news! Your son is a very sick boy. Just look at the x-rays. You see that dark spot there? Whiplash. Whiplash? Oh, no. And this smudge here that looks like my fingerprint? No, that's trauma. Am I going to die? Yes, son. Homer! <laughs> No, of course you're not going to die. <laughs> Everything's fine. Will I ever play baseball again? No! 
played baseball this morning. That's right, he did. So Nick Riviera, he would not get his Hi Everybody line until he became an infomercial star, but right. he's one of two new characters in this episode that the visual appearance is based on one celebrity or one person and the vocal uh, performance is based on another. In this case, visually, he is Gabor Chupo, one half of Klasky Chupo, but the accent is obviously Hank Azaria doing a crazy Ricky Ricardo impression. Yes, yeah. I don't know if they've recast <laughs> Dr. Nick at this uh, point, because it seems like they've recast every character that is a white person doing an accent, so I don't know if they've done this with Dr. Nick quite yet. Isn't he supposed to be the Eastern European or something? Well, that's, Are the rules he, different? I don't know. It's well, it's unclear. Like, I don't, is, is Riviera... Well, the Riviera definitely is a fake well, name. Well, I don't think that's his real name. Yeah. Name. I mean, if they lean into it, it's definitely Hank Azaria is mocking a Cuban man's extreme accent. Yeah. Uh, that was, you know, for a stage character. Ricky Ricardo, I don't believe, talked that way normally. Uh, but... Desi Arnaz. Uh, but if but you're right, Matt. They could just hide and like, no, no, no. We're mocking Gabor Chupo, who's like, you know, from uh, a former Eastern Bloc. Like, and that's fine. You can a white person can do that accent, and it's a it's not racist. You can still do the Eastern European accent. It's yeah, fine, right? Yeah. Uh, but he it, was he was killed in the movie, but they still brought him back. That pissed me off to find that out. Like that I had said for years on here, they're like, oh, yeah, they killed him in the movie and they wanted to make a big point of like, hey, we killed off a character. He's never coming back. He's uh, crushed under a giant piece of the glass wall and he's dead. And he says goodbye, everybody. And then he just started showing back up on the show. And Al Jean in an interview is like, yeah, no, he's just not dead now. <laughs> we, just, we want to bring him back. If you're going to at least make a big deal out of killing a guy in the movie, keep him dead, you know? Eh. But Riviere also, I like that among his things on the wall is a female body inspector sign. I like that. That's <laughs> It's no Hollywood upstairs medical college, but uh, they, they, they did their work in this episode. They're workshopping their way to the better. Every The story of, of Hutz and Dr. Nick are just slowly discovering better jokes to do with this, this same premise. Though, yeah, it's also funny that the next time we'll see him, he's like, oh, he's a commercial pitch man now for Spiffy. <laughs> like, that's that's what he became after this one. <laughs> his, his infomercial career kind of stalled out. He went back into, you know, practicing medicine, I guess. <laughs> and uh, Marge already questioning things. This is the moment. If Hutz was a better lawyer, he would say, can I speak to you guys privately? And he'd say, Marge, what are you doing you this this is to get money shut up like this uh it, if you think this seems fake don't worry about it like that's that's all he should have said i think march comes off as very naive in this yeah. episode too i i don't really love that uh but uh but i do like how homer snidely says like johns hopkins medical school <laughs> just sneering at that he's and impressed by female body inspector but thinks that's a made-up place dr nick is very flattered by saying he's the only one in the room closest to being a doctor yeah which Marge reiterates later. He's might not even be a doctor in this episode. Uh, I love something about the way Azari says X-rays. Like that. That also stuck with me. <laughs> Just look at the X-rays. Maybe there's also a little spirit of this of saying that like if you hear about trauma or whiplash or all that, it's all made up by some quack mm. doctor to pretend a thing is worth suing over or whatever. But I, and, and last thing I'll compliment about this scene. 
I love just Homer instantly just breaks down sobbing in his boy's lap. Uh, just He can't even keep a brave face. Uh, he's like, yes. You're going to die and you won't play baseball. Uh, he's just, that's, uh, they, they're starting to realize just how good Dan is at just Homer's, you know, wild mood swings. The the bigger, the better with Homer. Uh, and so, yes, we get the next scene of Burns being told uh, what to do. And I just <laughs> love, I love his reaction to the headlines. It's all visual. So I, I like his little murmurs like, ooh, yes. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, especially the headline, like another smart move for Burns. That's so great. They're like, what about the headlines? Like he's... Uh, and then Smithers, I also love, this is, I think the first real big burn speech of like the, Bi- I'll bide my time. Like yeah. There was a cool little visual touch on this that I'm sure drove Macarena crazy because it was cartoony when uh, he says, this cat has claws. You see his teeth turn into sharp razor teeth oh, really briefly. Graining wood. That's that. a no, no, yeah. <laughs> no, nothing visually interesting. Please get it out of the show. I like to, I, I like Burns saying like I don't want to be an ogre like yeah <laughs> but though again I think of the the amping up of those jokes they do later like uh, people see you as an ogre I should grind their bones to make my bread there's another line in this episode that will be improved upon in the next season actually mm-hmm. you know it's a fine machine you got to just keep testing it out like oh let's uh, what's a funnier way to do this joke uh, well meanwhile Hutz gets uh, starts training Bart to take the stand. How are you, Bart? Fine. Oh, fine. Isn't that nice? Bart says he's fine. Wrong! You are not fine! You are in constant pain! I am in constant pain. Dad, may I please make an observation? Don't wait. What is it? I think this is all a charade to make Bart look more injured than he really is. Maybe Lisa does have a point. I don't mind you boys doing this in the living room, but in court, doesn't Bart have to tell the truth? Yeah, but what is truth, if you follow me? Now, Bart, can you roll your eyes back in your head like this? Oh, you mean like I'm dead? Yeah, sure. The kid's a pro. I love that. I love that Bart instantly is like, oh, I can just lie. I'm I'm into this. All right. Like he... You are right, though. Marge is a little too naive. Uh, and she seems like a different character by the end of the episode. The way she just says, like, well, it's okay for you boys to do. Like, it's very much like my boys. Like, <laughs> now, boys. They're playing the pretend game in the living room. Yeah. Well, I also think to what Mike Reese said about how I, I say this every Swartzwelder episode, but how Mike Reese said that Swartzwelder often would underwrite or just leave out Lisa or Marge in his scripts. In in this bit here, where Lisa wants to say something, and Homer's like, "What? <laughs> what? Like that, that? That feels like Swartzwelder going like Lisa has to speak." Gardley <laughs> Smith has about uh, two lines in this episode, I think, yeah. and one of them is. Mm. <laughs> Though also, Matt, I'm curious what you think about, like, you know, we talked to you about Schwarzwelder being a bit of a, a libertarian and also definitely from the tales of In the Office, a bit of a right wing reactionary. Uh, what what do you think of his his thoughts on like, oh, every every lawyer's a liar. This is all just a scam to steal for people. People in wheelchairs are probably even faking it. I mean, yeah, I was saying that that, that was in the 90s. That was the industry line and it was... Uh embraced pretty broadly uh by people uh because you could yeah take a story about because people were suing and i mean the story of it was that the regulatory state was being dismantled and torts lawsuits are the only thing people really had left to get any kind of recompense from corporations uh and so uh that then become then became the next frontier to try to further reduce corporate liability for any kind and it's just part of a, a, the broader cultural 
trend of, of pushing uh, to fully annihilate any remaining legal restraint on on private private industry. Well, I could definitely see Schwarzwalder saying like, well, yeah, the private industry should just do what it wants. If it cripples a kid, <laughs> too bad. Like that's that's just into, that's You're uh, making that's an business. omelet. Yeah, it's the omelet of yeah. capitalism. <laughs> I also just love the line. But what is truth, really? If you follow me, yeah. <laughs> and then he just uh, dismisses the thought completely. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. If you can see it from Marge's standpoint, I do think that she feels that bart is getting a bad influence here but if they wanted to make the story of like oh well this is bart bart even though bart's name is in the title of this he's basically a nobody in this episode after minute four <laughs> uh, he takes the stand once here Hutz's line about the truth made me think of his line from uh, Realty Bites. Like, there's the truth and the truth. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so he's frowning at one time and smiling at the other uh, time. That's a good... Yeah, that is an improvement on his his general views on truth. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, so now it's time for Supreme Court history. Hell yeah. yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> uh, though he's called Judge Moulton here, this is the first appearance of Judge Snyder. He was in Krusty Gets Busted. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay, all right. I'm sorry well, to uh, Henry's a fraud, everybody. Damn it. I failed. Well, you're fired. None of this history, but <laughs> uh, but yes, visually he's meant to look like Robert Bork, the uh, Reagan's failed Supreme Court justice. You're much more learned in history than me, Matt. But I never had looked that closely into the Bork case. I didn't realize that Joe Biden had such a big role in Bork not getting the nomination. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, his nomination being defeated was uh in in the way in republican memory it's the thing that justifies every norm violation that they have done in pursuing supreme court uh seats since then because it was the first time that a uh according to them that a justice was uh, or that an, a nominee was denied a seat based on uh their jurisprudence and not on any kind of ethical issues and uh, Joe Biden and Teddy Kennedy were instrumental in getting together sort of the case against Bork for his wildly reactionary takes on basically every issue uh, and use that as a way to uh, declare him unfit for the court. I mean, he was very vocal. Bork was very vocal in his dislike of civil rights and also uh, anything antitrust. Mm. He, was, he was, though it's also funny to hear about moralizing from Teddy Kennedy, of all people, especially. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that, the timing of it, too, I saw was like Biden was doing this right after he had to pull out of the 88 presidential campaign, too. Like, mm -hmm. uh, it sounded like it was a bit of a rebound for him. Yeah, after the plagiarism slash brain hemorrhage campaign that uh, <laughs> didn't go too well. Yeah, in both those cases, that plagiarism derailed a presidential campaign and that after, you know, say Kavanaugh, that we look at like, well, Bork couldn't be Supreme Court justice because of X, Y, and Z. It's like, really? That's they, things. Things were different in 1988. What is criteria, if you follow me? Yeah. <laughs> and we also have the debut of Blue Haired Lawyer, still not named by the show, because often with these characters, they will eventually give them a name as a joke, like mm -hmm. a comic book guy and a few other characters, but he has never been named. And uh, the voice is Dan Castellaneta doing a Ray Cohn impression, sorry, Roy Cohn impression, but the visual appearance is Wally Cox, mm -hmm, the actor. Mm -hmm. So another character where the voice is one thing and the design is another thing to be very uh, confusing. I mean, Wally Cox looks even more spineless than Roy Cohn, but yeah, Roy, Roy Cohn had to be one of the slimiest, worst people in American history. It's got to be up there, right, Matt? Oh yeah, real, real piece of work. 
It was a little... the comic book guy does not have a name. I don't. <laughs> I don't acknowledge that. <laughs> we shouldn't. We shouldn't. No, I I get it wrong intentionally every time I say it. If I'm forced to, <laughs> but yeah, he, Roy Cohn represented you know all the greats: uh, Rupert Murdoch, Donald Trump, and most Republican. I mean, every rich guy like uh, Steinbrenner, him too. Well, friends with Nixon, he was like the kingmaker for Roger Stone for like every every bad guy. Did um, he ever say the words dinner dog? <laughs> Uh, he would well. Yes, actually, Bob, you uh, supplied me with a, an easy Roy Cohn clip as uh, he's defending Trump uh, USFL lawsuit against the NFL in here. the mid '80s, I guess, right? Yeah, it's actually within a year of his death. Uh, this is Roy Cohn. Tie up three networks when they dictate to you you can't play football when the fans want you to play football when they tie up stadiums with leases uh, so you have no place to play. And it's also funny that that lawsuit was anti-monopoly stuff against NFL, but it was only <laughs> done because Donald Trump was mad they didn't sell him an NFL team. But again, to hear Roy Congo like, now the NFL just has too much power. This company can do whatever <laughs> it wants. Uh, but uh, is, if it makes you listeners feel any better, he's dying as he's saying those words. Like his, his death is coming. <laughs> he'd probably he'd be in his late 90s now if he, and I'm sure he'd have been in a Prince Philip state as well if he had not uh, had the bad luck of uh, getting the HIV virus. Though, so blue-haired lawyer based on like he's the Roy Cohn is the exact man who would have been Burns's lawyer and would have been very good friends with with Burns. Oh, apparently it's not Wally Cox; it's Charles Lane, the character actor oh, who is okay. less well known than Wally Cox, but that's the visual appearance of uh, blue-haired lawyer. Oh, all right. Uh, and, uh, and yes, as the courtroom begins, I do love the joke that Burns does everything that you shouldn't do at the very start. Your Honor, my client has instructed me to remind the court how rich and important he is, that he is not like other men. I Are should you? be able to run over as many kids as I want. <laughs> Mr. Burns, I must warn you that if you continue to disrupt the court in this way, I will have to cite you for contempt. You wouldn't dare. Well, no, I, I guess I wouldn't. Oh. <laughs> uh, I love that. The judge admitting like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't sue. A, I wouldn't put a, a, a very rich man in jail for contempt. Never. <laughs> uh, it's a great flustered reading of that line. I also this is the first time I noticed like definitely a bunch of rewrites. The blue haired lawyer's mouth is all wrong. And the reaction is wrong, too. They are pulling Burns down after he says I should run over as many kids as I want. Like his lawyers are like, no, quiet. It's so much that doesn't fit hmm. with blue haired lawyer saying my my client wants you to know that he is not like other men like that. That seems to go against what their their yeah. plan was. So I feel like that not like other men line was was a change. But it's a great change that just to know that Burns was in his ear saying, like, let them know that I am very rich and not like <laughs> other people. <laughs> so, yes, Bart comes to the stay stand after Burns. Burns fucking it all up like that's just a good bit too of like he's he clearly would lose this in any other world he's he's on his way to losing this if it wasn't if this episode didn't have to have a moral to the story mm. or change the uh economic situation of the simpsons uh but bart takes the stand and it's really just great fantasy sequence mostly just visual of him being chased down by burns in his luxury car of death 
I think what we miss with these uh, these fantasy sequences is uh, Lionel Hutz talking to the characters. Yeah. I think because of this, we don't get him interacting with the characters in court. Uh, yeah, it's true. That's uh, it. It would it would be funnier to hear Phil Hartman saying some silly thing here instead of uh, instead of seeing Bart's visual, but. I love that Burns in the thing is constantly aiming at Bart and a rare uh, twister mouth on Burns. Burns has a twister mouth. He's I can't I'm still having trouble finding any twister by a non-Bart character other than Burns here, but I think I think that was Kirkland going like, ah, "I love when Wes Archer does the twister. I'll just do it on Burns, not knowing that the rule is you'd only do a twister on Bart." Like Bart's just into it. He's like, "This is acting. Like I'm on stage. Like he's so into it." Uh, sometimes I wish I was. So good. Uh, also, funny thing you can spot in the background when Marge and Lisa murmur together. Uh, you can spot Akbar and Jeff behind them. Really? Deep into wow. The background. Okay. Yeah. Uh, from Life in Hell comic strip, in case you don't know, Akbar and Jeff. And, uh, and so, yes, then Burns is called to give his testimony. He pulls out a sheet of paper and uh, tells his own version of the truth. Now, Mr. Burns, would you please relate in your own words exactly what really happened on the day of the accident? Certainly. Oh, it was a beautiful day. The sun was shining. I was driving to the orphanage to pass out toys. Suddenly, that incorrigible Simpson boy darted in front of me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Look what's happened. Oh, it's not important, sir. Let's drive on. Why, you despicable, cool-blooded monster. Regardless of what you think, we, we, we must summon help and comfort the dear boy until an ambulance arrives. Mm. No! Take me! I'm old! <laughs> That's what happened. What are you looking at me like that for? You believed his cock and bull story. One thing I noticed in that scene for the first time, I've seen this episode like 50 times, is that when Bart hits Burns' car, the car has stopped. Oh, so yeah. So it's even uh. more good evidence for Burns' <laughs> side, where it's like he was his car had stopped, he and did. Bart still hit it. Yeah, it puts all the fault on Bart. You're right. I I just love in Burns' telling of the story that Bart is this like insane, uncontrollable maniac who's like just laughing with maniacal glee as he runs himself into it. Even as he flies in the air, he's laughing <laughs> and hits the ground like uh, such a great such a great view of the world that Burns has there. And yeah. I think that that take me I'm old thing is the writers misremembering a Twilight Zone episode uh, in praise of Pip. Yes. And Jack Klugman is in it. He hears his son has been wounded in Vietnam, and then he uh, finds a small boy who basically is his son. He hangs out with him, and then I think the small boy fades away, and he's like, take me! Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he doesn't he's, say, I'm old, right? Yeah, no, I pulled up the episode. He's uh, he's like a bookie who got shot, and he's like, so he's bleeding to death in the scene, too, and he's just praying to God, like, take me! take me but no no take me i'm old and uh and that yeah it's the clug man jack clugman and bill moomy is Ooh. uh is the boy he's so. your all-purpose twilight zone child <laughs> they they knew two children they could call a boy and a girl to be in every twilight zone <laughs> episode uh and also like burns kissing him like that's a bit even smithers is mad like that's how many times has smithers looked at burns angrily and thought that's too far how dare you uh and then uh, i have a brief clip here of the most energy burns has ever had in the show's history they hate me well, what trial were you watching maybe a 
Oh, yes, settlement. Fine. Hang your heads in shame, you overpriced, underbrand, glorified notary publics. Just get that big ape to my house tonight, and we'll buy him off with a banana or two. God. <laughs> he kind of becomes auto when he says, yeah, banana or two. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh yeah he 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 loses decades in that speech but it's still great. Oh god, I just I love what a rich guy statement he has of saying you like uh, they hate me. What trial were you watching? Like still in his head, he's like I did so good on the stand. Everyone loves me. And he's just they being were, they were saying boo Ernst. <laughs> yes, yeah. And he's just being really inconvenienced by all of this. Like uh, why do I have to be here? It's so great. Yeah, he's like. That's uh, he's smart to go for the settlement thing after this. Like he's he's right. And also, I do love the it's a really I think it was done in post, they said, or like late. But like, giving you the detail that you can see that Homer hears him say it is is extra good. It, it adds a lot of flavor to the next scene, though. I suppose Homer's written so stupid in this episode, he shouldn't even realize they're, they're talking about him. Like he, He's just be like, oh, you wonder who he's going to settle with. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we head inside Burns' uh, living room, I guess you'd say. There's a full-size tree in the fireplace and then other jokes and and also i like that they they do set up you know evil rich guys they it's a timeless bit mm -hmm. they they go around the world and they kill animals that it, it still still works today though i feel like it's like gamified more i don't know it's different uh the when the trump sons kill some animal on a safari it uh, it feels uh it feels like it lacks even the dignity of burns on one of his you know old-timey safaris old-timey safaris yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yes, they uh, Burns is plying Homer with liquor. He says the trial's an affront to our collective dignity, uh, and he offers Homer five hundred thousand dollars right there. Which I would guess that Hutz takes half of that too. So really, it's just two hundred fifty thousand. Which, especially in nineteen ninety one dollars, pretty it's pretty good money. Mm -hmm. But he definitely made it. Uh, got in the pool minimum. Oh yeah, that's that's a, a, above ground or uh, in ground pool. Oh, it's got to be in ground there for yeah. sure. Yeah, because the Simpsons at their normal amount of money we see later can't afford an above ground pool. So they, uh, but yes, the as yeah. as they make the offer to them, they leave and then. It's uh, it's a corny joke, but I like their eyes in the painting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Is that a psycho reference too? Him oh. pushing his head up to the peephole. Yeah, just the way it's framed. I think that framing is the psycho yeah. framing. Yeah, I think you're right. There's more bits here when Homer says because he knows he's gonna lose that all bit there. The mouth movements are all way off too. Like I think they, the the ending has so much ADR that it distracts from the rest of the episode. But I think they changed that for clarity just to make it clear that Homer does know that Burns is is trying to buy him off because they're this close to winning. And, uh, and yeah, I also I love he he spits on five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Maybe that is the show showing that like he's this is Homer's um, wings of wax moments that he's like he he instead of just taking the money, he'd have been much richer, but he thinks he can get that million. So he sticks with it. Uh, but this is when Burns learns an important bit of information. Well, Marge, what do you think? Mm, I don't know. Maybe we should take his money and put all this ugliness behind us. Fishes in the pen. What do you think, Homer? I'll tell you what I think. I think he thinks I'm an idiot. The only reason he's offering us this is because he knows he's going to lose the trial and have to pay us a cold million. Ooh, I feel faint. $500,000. I spit on his $500,000. <laughs> 
Homer, what's happened to you? All this greediness and lying and shifty lawyers and phony doctors. Phony doctors, hello. Do you know what I'd settle for if it was up to me? Bart's medical bills and an apology. And you won't even get that. Sorry, offer's expired. I guess we'll just have to let the jury decide. Twelve good men and true. Good day. Smithers release the hounds. <laughs> Instantly, yeah. the hounds are released. I... Also, they insured, inserted a shot from Bart versus Thanksgiving of the the the, the close up with the lightning bolt thing behind the uh, dogs okay. like that. That was straight out of Bart versus Thanksgiving. Well, first off, I feel like the Simpsons have another lawsuit on their hands against Burns because he invited them there and released the hounds on him. Like I feel feel you got some sort of case there. <laughs> they weren't intruders. Though I suppose Burns could just say they were intruders and he get away with it. Mm. I guess, but. And also, I have to say, that blue-haired lawyer is pretty crap at his job if he didn't already doubt the testimony of Dr. Nick Riviera. Yeah. Like that, we, uh, I guess that's why we don't see it, a scene of that, because it's so flim- it would be so flimsy, you know? <laughs> uh, blue-haired lawyer should just go like, this is a comedic character on stage. How can we, how can we have, uh, even trust the words of this guy? This man has a catchphrase. <laughs> they then end the act with Marge being called to the stand, and there's a really good Zoom in on marge i guess the the ultimate question in this episode is like is marge wrong for not just lying on the stand and getting the money she could get now i think her taking the oath and swearing to god shows that like maybe she just had a fear of her soul for that lie perhaps i think that's it though maybe she also was like she could have thought uh, Hutz wouldn't have told her this because he's bad at his job. But if they already know to question Nick Riviera and she still tries to lie, they probably have a good chance of uh, proving she perjured herself and getting Marge in a lot more trouble. So it's it's complicated. I think it's more complicated than the cable episode we'll get to later where Lisa is wrong. You should steal from cable companies. They're the worst. <laughs> but in this case, yes, Marge could be setting herself up for like greater crimes and, you know, jail sentences possibly who knows what's going on but uh i don't know i don't know i'm not enough of a lawyer to know but it, it seems weird that they that they could ask her about uh her opinion of dr nick i mean it, that seems is that is that something you can ask someone and mm. is that something that is is applicable to a, a a legal standard of truth when you're talking about an opinion yeah it seems like you could it seems like uh huts could have objected and said hearsay there but i'm yeah. not a lawyer i don't know no you're right yeah it, it feels like she would be a character witness for huts maybe but the judge could throw that out or huts could object uh yeah who knows they just they just accept this for yeah. the story yeah also, well and then it's a civil case too i don't know like where i mean you can't perjure yourself in a civil case just because it's not a criminal case but yeah i i would guess then it's really just marge's like fear for her soul of lying yeah. on, on the stand and though some of her reactions to these questions she's like you know now that i think about it like she's written a pretty ditzy in that moment that she doesn't understand what the goal is of putting her on the stand and asking about it like mm. the, she's she should be a little smarter than this i feel like i do though agree they all should have just come in with a better plan and a better lawyer but like this is our plan to get a yeah. million dollars from a rich man who won't miss it who did almost kill bart <laughs> Which, again, I feel like they absolutely have a case there. Uh, but, uh, but yes, Marge takes the stand. And this blue-haired lawyer in exchange, 
I kind of wish she talked with the blue-haired lawyer more like this. Like it's so funny her and Dan in this in this situation. There's a lot of fun crosstalk. I like how smarmy he is with her. Yeah, I mean, this type of crosstalk is just dead. Well, I mean, it's especially over cuz they don't record in person. They I think they didn't record in person all that much uh as a group uh into the like the teens of the show. But now in COVID times, they definitely can't. But uh, but yes, Marge tells the truth. Could you describe for us in your own words Bart's intense mental anguish and suffering? Well, I don't know how intense it was. Uh-huh. But, well, I guess he did miss three days of school. Oh, three although days. he doesn't really like school all no. that much. No. So I guess that may not count as anguish. No, it doesn't. It was a little hard on me having him around the house yes. all that time. Could you put a dollar amount on all these hardships? Well, we pay Bart $5 a week to take out the trash. Mm-hmm. I suppose if he'd been able to do it that week, we might have given him the $5. $5? Mm-hmm. But your lawyer, assuming he is a lawyer, is asking for a million. Well, we can't blame them for trying, can we? <laughs> Thank you very much, Mrs. Simpson. Go, no. <laughs> I'm going to write a figure on this piece of paper. It's not quite as large as the last one, but I, I think you'll find it fair. <laughs> I think we should take it. <laughs> you know, Marge should have mentioned the medical bills. Yeah, on the yeah. stand, not just the five dollars Bart lost. And uh, yeah. Burton saying, I think you'll find it fair, made me think of the line from the uh, the German episode, I think you'll find it most unfair, when You're he right. hands them that the... That was uh, a sequel line yeah. to that one. That's right, man. The, he I, also draws a perfect circle. Uh, like, Burns has great penmanship yeah. with that zero there. And uh, Homer is, like, turning the circle, trying to make it a different number, that's, possibly. That's yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's, he's a dumb man, folks. Man, you're right. Bart should have said, well, the medical bill, like when asked, like, how much money did Bart lose? Say we lost $2,000 paying the medical bills of Bart being hit by a car by that guy. Like, just it, at least push it over to that. Like, the, the jury might listen there. But Instead, she's too wrapped up in the injustice of Burns possibly being ripped off. Yeah, uh, I hate that. I, I mean, it is very realistic that an evil man won in court mm-hmm. and he had better lawyers. Like, that's... Uh, but that's a depressing realism, you know? <laughs> well, because they settle it, it doesn't even go to the jury. I still think they'd have had a shot if they gave it to the jury. Yeah. But uh, by taking zero, I guess it's like, well, they didn't lose any money in this. Like, they, the Simpsons didn't have to pay Burns back anything, I suppose, and pay for his legal fees. And now we get to the James L. Brooks portion of the show where uh, we like James L. Brooks. He's very talented. But he was meddling with the show at this point in ways that didn't make it better. We covered Dance and Homer, and a lot of that show was re-engineered by him. And his idea was that because this is animation, we can make changes as late as possible. We can, you know, freeze on, you know, frames of the show and have narration over it or characters' thoughts. We can basically do whatever we want with finished animation. And uh, it was told on the commentary that Brooks came in with this ending and kind of rewrote the third act of the show to be about this. This scene with Homer becoming disillusioned about his marriage, going off to Moe's, and then reuniting with Marge. And Brooks is not on the commentary, and they're uh, politely dismissive of this ending. Yes. Yeah. The writers in the room. If Brooks is there, or it's uh, after they've done a few more commentaries, they are much uh, more like, you know, Brooks, great idea, boss. Like, uh, there's a little more of that spirit in the 
in the commentaries. I mean, this ending, you know, it's not so different from the ending of Dance and Homer that yeah. was just all edited back together because probably from the same spirit of, and they they blame, they they credit Brooks in that too, of saying Brooks wanted, uh, he didn't want just the sad thing of the family driving home they wanted like a minute to make it about homer's emotions or he finds some new maybe too like the if the ending is just well burns one we're sad and we don't have money i suppose them finding more love for each other is a more hopeful message but it's just mm. kind of weak like if if it had been pulled off it yep. comes out of nowhere it's 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 not in the the episode until that point like that tension doesn't exist it just emerges yeah and i think brooks also thought oh we need emotion in this episode not understanding it's a john Swartzwelder episode yeah. uh, in blood feud uh burns does win right in a way yeah but the ending is marge saying this is an ending yeah there's yeah. there's no resolution we're just living in an ending now and let's just enjoy our lives well, you know, the work on season two, it was, you know, such a marathon for them that I also think they were just so worn out by the last one in season two that probably Brooks didn't have the energy to be like, no, <laughs> let's let's find the heart here. Let's we need a heart to heart about them talking about this old mech head. Instead, they're just like, it's over. You know, they're they're eating their TV dinners in front of this giant head and trying to just think of what the moral could be yeah. but coming up with nothing. <laughs> this is different than just the usual like at the end of uh, Simpson and Delilah or Three-Eyed Fish, where uh, 20 seconds of them in bed together and Marge and Homer say, oh, I, I'm sad. Well, you shouldn't be sad because I love you. Aw, hug. This is longer than that yeah. and, and far more extended. And it really hijacks the episode, really, yeah. at the end. After we've had all this fun with Lionel Hutz, he just goes away and just we have to have all this uh, family stuff. I mean, I do think it's realistic that for most relationships, if one partner could be blamed for costing you a million dollars, it would poison it for the rest of your life and you it would just end your relationship right there. Uh, I read the ending as Homer goes into such deep denial that he's like, no, I love you more than ever. He's like, no, no, no very deep i think the real homer is him saying like yeah a million dollars worth you treacherous snake woman <laughs> but yeah i think there's just so much padding of like voiceover in this like uh homer at least homer's internal monologue is kind of funny here but just a lot of dialogue over people not moving and just yeah. a lot of too much uh, just too much uh ruminating on things it just mm. it, it's not a great ending my wife cost me a million dollars would you like some more macaroni and cheese? Yeah, a million dollars worth your treacherous snake woman. Oh, thank you. Some string beans? No, I don't want any string beans either. You're too timing backstabbing. Uh-oh, better answer. Oh, thank you. Some celery with cream cheese on it. Just mouth polite nothings. Oh, thank you. You know what would have really been cool? If we got that million bucks. Bart, please. What? We could have bought tons of great stuff, Mom. Maze, a pool, fancy sweaters. <laughs> Stop me if I'm wrong. Marge, dear, would it be all right if I went over to Moe's for a drink? Well, sure. I don't know if I'll ever come back here. Good night. Mm, my woman's intuition is telling me something. I wonder what... Oh, my God. Well, that's it. I guess this is the class I'm going to die in. Nah, you're better off. Rich people aren't happy. From the day they're born to the day they die, they think they're happy, but trust me, they ain't. Well, wish you'd shut up. <laughs> What's weird uh, about the narration, it's clearly a different audio session and a different recording. It just feels like it's so obviously doctored. Mm -hmm. I, 
I I do like Mo telling like saying oh they think they're happy but they're not like eh, that uh, that Mo isn't the sleaze bag he is yet he's just like a stupider version <laughs> of bartender profit type guy. One thing they also didn't need was Marge saying like my women's intuition like <laughs> just showing her face. You know I think it also comes from like Brooks doesn't trust the drawing to express this information. Yeah, it's like uh, he he looks at Marge looking sad or Homer looking sadly at his glass of beer and he thinks uh homer or marge needs to say i'm worried that this person doesn't love me like the, the, that they apparently don't think that the drawing expresses enough when i think it does i agree i feel like that scene played out originally without the narration over it without the thoughts mm -hmm. and it would have conveyed the same information without being so i guess didactic about it and i bet they probably deleted a scene or two to make room for that because that ending with all their narration is like 20 30 seconds longer than it would have been before because they have to like pause on everybody but uh but i do like homer just very directly telling her like well our love affair and marriage is over but you know we can just have a dead relationship <laughs> we'll do like, all the bed stuff we'll do all the bed stuff maybe it won't be so bad <laughs> i also though when marge comes in they all start cat calling her which is a joke about like i guess how no women ever go to most tavern and she takes it with gentle good humor yes all yeah. of the sexual harassment though barney went to high school with her he should recognize marge and He's not very drunk now ah, okay fine <laughs> fine that's a good that's a good excuse but yes homer he's not so sure he loves marge anymore and marge asks him to do one last test i think that you should look me in the eyes and find out no homer look at me all right all right look at her if it'll shut her up start with the feet still angry good good homer good this is tough need refreshment Oh, good old trustworthy beer. My love for you will never die. All right, all right. Got to look at the wife straight in the eyes and tell her. Oh, who am I kidding? I love you more than ever. I love you too. Sorry to scare you like that, babe. Okay, everybody. For the next 15 minutes. One third off on every picture. I want a customer, domestic beer only. Hey, no sharing. Yeah, uh, they also lean out real hard on Mo at the end of like, can he do some extra lines there? <laughs> Let's just uh, make it a little funnier. That, but yeah, that I love you more than ever. Yeah. On the commentary, they shout that. Out. I was like, why? Mike why? Reese points that out, and I, I I agree with him. It's just it was a test of their marriage, sure, but uh, it just feels like too much. This ending, too much. Like, does he love her more than ever because she did the right thing or was honest to a fault? And he's like, that shows what a what a pure person you are. Like, it, I think he was just hammered. <laughs> <laughs> he stopped to drink it's more. Like, oh, look at you! I love you. <laughs> and that just got him through to the next day, and then he kind of forgot about it. Uh, in the morning, the resentment comes back, and then he drinks more to forget it. And uh, yeah, you know, if you uh, you could read it as Homer becomes a deeper alcoholic from this day <laughs> forward to try to drown his unending resentment at the uh, the woman who cost him a million dollars. <laughs> I need to be drunk to look my wife in the eyes. That's just how you my life really, is. Yeah, you can read his whole uh, arc from now on as just fleeing from that reality in alcohol and food. <laughs> mm -hmm. He's, he just can't believe it. But, you know, 
I guess time has shown that Homer, if he even had that million dollars, he'd have wasted it yeah. anyway. So, I mean, what well, a few episodes in season 12, they're going to end up with like armfuls of diamonds. And <laughs> and clearly they lost all of that money at the end of their uh, their Simpson safari. Well, we'll get to it. I don't yeah. think James L. Brooks intended for us to have this reading, but uh, we're correct. No. Yeah. I, he Yes. James L. Brooks just wanted a happy Mary Tyler Moore episode, hug of an ending of like, and all the lessons were learned. We all love, or just... The idea of like, well, marriage is tough conversations, but then realizing you love each other more than ever. You don't blame her for costing you a million dollars. They also like that they really slow down that Homer looking up thing. Like it feels very at, like early video editing effects yeah. there. Uh, I do like his line, like my love for you will never die about his beer, about beer. That also goes more to the like increased alcoholism story of Homer there. Yeah. But a lot of great firsts in this episode. First Huts, first Riviera, first appearance of Doris Grau. Lots of great burn stuff, especially in the first half of the second season. They're way yeah. into burns. I think they're being told at this point, please, no more burns. People <laughs> want to hear about Bart. Uh, but the uh, ending is a big whiff and it is the James L. Brooks uh, tinkering a little too much with the show. But I can forgive that because of the rest of it just so funny. This episode was where they like they discovered all these new toys that they could play with and have a lot of fun with and and you could read uh, Brooks trying to have a less satirical or cynical ending with this was his like one of his last throw uh, attempts at saying like no this is a sweet show with tons of heart guys here look it's the end and <laughs> and in all the writers saw that final scene and thought this is way too schmaltzy and then they saw the hut scenes and like we got to give a hundred more lines to this guy he's the funniest character uh but yeah uh, matt any final thoughts yeah i just as far as uh as courtroom episodes go uh not enough shenanigans mm. insufficient shenanigans it's still fairly down to earth again lionel hutt's had pants on yeah <laughs> and he wasn't uh, calling david crosby as as the flanders <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as the Flanderization begins for him, he gets better and better. But uh, he's he was uh, Hutz is one of those magical, and I guess Doctor Nick as well. They're one of the characters that there really was no too far for them. Like even even in the Scully years of Panda Love, <laughs> I feel like if they did any joke with Hutz that was like, oh, Hutz accidentally killed somebody, or uh, he he ran over somebody. Oh yeah, yeah, he ran over this judge's son repeatedly. Yeah, there was no too far. He could be the person you could put. Any of the jokes you wanted to make about Homer being a horrible person, just do those with Huts, and you can have a lot of fun with them. Uh, but sadly, you know, that's not not how fate uh, played mm -hmm. out. Uh, but uh, but I guess yeah. Th thank you so much, Matt, for coming on this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, uh, I guess where where can folks find you and all your great podcasts? I mean, if if some people are listening to this, they probably know, but uh, they mm. they should if they don't. Uh, yes, uh, Chapo Trap House and Time for My Stories on Stitcher Premium. And you're still doing live streams too. Yes, at least uh, try to do at least one a week on Twitch and then YouTube after that. No, those are tons of fun. I I always love watching those. I I, I come out of them feeling so much smarter than before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. So thanks again to Matt Crispin for being on the show. Please check out Time for My Stories and, of course, Chapo Trap House. And he's also on Twitter as Cushbomb. As for us, if you want to check out more of what we do and get all these episodes one week at a time and ad-free, please go to patreon.com slash talkingsimpsons. Sign up for five bucks a month. You get just that, but also access to all of our limited miniseries. The most recent one was Talking of the Hill Season 2. 
part one. That was 11 new episodes of our Talking of the Hill podcast, which is our King of the Hill retrospective. We cover King of the Hill the same way we cover The Simpsons, and that is all behind the Patreon paywall, along with 100 other bonus podcasts that you have not heard if you are not on the Patreon. So many miniseries and interviews and other special things that we've done all on patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. And there is also a $10 level. Sign up for that. You get all the $5 stuff, but also access to one mega-long podcast once a month, only for patrons of that level or higher. And what is that, Henry? That is the What a Cartoon Movie Podcast, where we cover an animated feature film as in-depth as we do The Simpsons or animated series on What a Cartoon. Every month, we cover films like Cool World, Shrek, DuckTales, the movie, and a ton more. Almost three years worth of our back catalog at the $10 premium level, in addition to the dozens and dozens and dozens of $5 paywall podcasts as well. Please consider signing up at the premium level. That's at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. So I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. And my other podcast, by the way, is Retronauts. It's a classic gaming podcast about old video games. Find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts. Sign up there for two exclusive episodes every month. Henry, how about you? Hey, I'm Henry Gilbert. Follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Also, if you're following me on Twitter and Bob, you should definitely be following the official Twitter account of this podcast, at Talk Simpsons Pod. If you follow at Talk Simpsons Pod, you will stay in the loop whenever new stuff goes out on the Patreon, on our free feeds, whenever there's polls, whenever there's other news. All of it is talked about there. Please follow at Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time for the latest episode of our community podcast, Talk to the Audience, and we'll see you then. Forgive me for doing the right thing. Oh, Marge. We've squabbled over money before. Never this much. I mean, I know this is different than that time I washed your pants with a 20 in the pocket, but I... No, no, no. You, you think this is about money? Well, it's not. It's worse, Marge. I'm afraid that from now on when I look at you, I'm not going to see the wife by my side or the mother of my children. I'm just going to see the dame who blew my one big chance. What are you saying, Homer? I'm saying... She's been your wife for ten years. You've had three children together. It's time to be honest with her. I'm not sure I love you anymore. <gasps> but don't worry, I'll never let on. I'll, I'll still do all the bad stuff. Maybe it won't be so bad. Oh, my Lord! Oh. Well, I don't want to wait another minute to find out whether you love me anymore. <laughs>